Well, good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Welcome to church. We're in that awkward weekend between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Because if I say it's December the 1st, 24 days away from the most important day of the year, if you're a Christmas elf, some people go, yay! Everybody else goes, no! So we're going to embrace the awkwardness between those two points today while we kind of pivot between series. We just wrapped up a series called Friend of Sinners. The new Christmas series is called Light the Way. And so we're going to actually tap into both sides of that today. I hope that you'll stick with me. I've done a lot of weddings in my 30 years of ministry, have loved every single wedding that I've ever done. But there's one that sticks out in my memory above all the others. I was the only person wearing a suit that day and it was over 100 degrees. Every single person that came to the wedding was wearing leather, which was a devotion, just a statement of their devotion because of how hot it was. The wedding took place just off the Axton Road on a Saturday afternoon, and when the guests to the wedding began to arrive, you could hear them for miles away because they all showed up on hogs and iron horses. Are you getting a picture? Okay. The sweet sound of Harley Davidson was everywhere because all of the guests belonged to a local motorcycle club. They rolled in. Leather, dust, exhaust, and noise. It was the best wedding procession I have ever seen anywhere. The bride and groom had just come to Jesus at Christ the King Community Church, and they wanted to make their relationship right before God. So they asked me if I would come and officiate, and I'm like, yeah, I'll go check that out. The wedding vows were unique. They included promises about love and wearing motorcycle helmets. At one point, the bride vowed to give up cigarette smoking. Just for the record, we don't believe that cigarettes will keep you out of heaven. In fact, they'll get you there a whole lot quicker if you keep on smoking them. Just saying, okay? And that wasn't the only kind of smoke they were talking about. Most of it was coming from a cook trailer that provided the best pork ribs I have ever had in my life. It was a raw mess of humanity. And I loved every second of it. Just before Bob and I walked to the front of the group, Bobby made a comment to me. He said, Grant, just so you know, there will not be very many people on my side of the aisle. I come from a family of church people. They don't associate with my friends. What Bob didn't know is I already knew that because earlier in the week, I'd gotten a phone call from a concerned family member who asked me the question, why are you performing a wedding for people like that? And I remember my answer. I said, I'm gonna perform a wedding for people like that because Jesus would have performed a wedding for people like that. So if you read your Bible, you need to notice something. Jesus spent an inordinate amount of time with people like that. Financial con artists, the demon possessed, lepers, prostitutes, the unlovely, the diseased, political extremists. I guess you could put them all under the uncomfortable banner of, of sinner. His disciples, if you think about it, were people like that. Every one of them was a colossal mess. Before, during, and after, they followed Jesus. They were a glorious mess, but Jesus called them to his mission. And just so you know, Jesus came to earth on a mission to draw people like that to his heavenly father. We were the reason that Jesus came. He came to save people like us, people like that. And if anything is happening in your heart right now where you're just thinking about, you know, Jesus needs to come and save people like that, I just want to remind you of something. You just entered into judgment, which is a sin, and you just became one of those people. 
I'll never forget that phone conversation. It bugged me then. It still bugs me today. Why would you do a wedding for people like that? But it prompted a question in my heart. Why is it that as followers of Jesus, and that's who I'm going to be talking about mostly today, why is it that after we start following Jesus, we suddenly begin to struggle to connect with people who may or may not be on the same faith journey that we're on? Why do we tend to suddenly view ourselves in, in a different way, in a different kind of category? I mean, after all, they're sinners and we're saints and, and, and never the two should mix. I came up with some reasons why we tend to isolate instead of connecting. I put it under the heading in your outline of why we struggle with befriending people slash sinners that are just like us. Here's some plain uncomfortable truth for you. One of the reasons is we're just judgy. Okay, it's not even an English word. I made it up, but we're, we're judgy. The fact is, there's something inside of us that naturally puts ourselves above those people. And the truth is that by judging those people, I already said it, you just sinned and became one of those people. Isn't that ironic? I mean, how quickly we forget where God saved us from and, and how quickly we begin to judge those who are still searching. We seem to have this thing in our head that says, well, I know Jesus now, so I have arrived. Just so you know, no human being in this room has arrived. And I think there's always room for one more on the broken road to heaven. I mean, honestly, if you were to take a moment, not a show of hands, but how many of you during the opening story thought something other than, man, I'd love to go to that wedding? How many of us in the quiet corner of our soul judged the people who were there without even knowing a single one of them? And I'm always in awe of the Apostle Paul who wrote these words in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now remember, he was a murderer turned missionary. And he wrote these words. He goes, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we go, yeah. And then he says this, of whom I am the worst. It goes on and says, but for that very reason, for that very reason, the reason that he'd been transformed from a, a murderer into a missionary, for the reason, the, the fact that he was acknowledging the fact that, that he was a sinner and only God called him a saint. But, but for that very reason, Paul is saying, like, I didn't get what I deserve. In fact, I got what I didn't deserve. That's the most amazing thing. But for that very reason, the Bible continues, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, he says it again, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. Anybody else in the room had God respond to you with a lot of patience? Those of you that didn't put up your hand, you're lying. You just became people like that. <laughs> that Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. We just get judgy. The Apostle Paul says in another part of Scripture, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves with the faith that God has given us. All of that to say this. Here's one of the reasons we struggle. We're just, we're judgy. Secondly, we struggle with befriending people that are just like us because we've forgotten the power of hospitality. All through scripture, Jesus is having meals with people. It looks incidental. It was actually unbelievably purposeful. I mean, even in the 23rd Psalm, when Jesus is walking someone through the valley of the shadow of death, what does he do? He takes a break and he makes a meal. He prepares a table 
before them in the presence of their enemies. The Bible tells us over and over again, we're supposed to practice hospitality with each other and also with those who are on their way to Jesus. I love 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Do you know what comes next? Offer hospitality to one another and don't grumble about it. <laughs> That's good. Some of you are like, but Grant, that says right there, offer it to each other. People that are just like me. Well, you may want to hold on to that thought for a second because we're going to see how Jesus does it his way. Reason number three, we're scared to connect deeply with people. I mean, how many of us struggle to get beyond the weather politics or our opinion when it comes to conversation? When was the last time you engaged with another person who may or may not share your faith and had a conversation about your own failures? Or your own struggles with following Jesus? Or questions about your faith? Or questions or doubts about death? I mean, when was the last time you went to that level? We struggle with that. And then we add this fact to it that we've got no relational margin. I mean, we all, we're busy people. Grant, I don't have time for those people. So we insulate ourselves. We forget where we came from. And we either don't have time or don't care about people that are searching. Here's the final painful reason about why we struggle to befriend or connect with people slash sinners that are just like us. It's the fact that we just forget how much God loves the whole world. Nowhere in scripture does it say Jesus came to seek and save nice tidy church people who've got all their stuff together. It's not just for the tidy church people or the Instagram liars because we know your Thanksgiving picture, your family picture, took half an hour of civil war before you actually got that photo taken. <laughs> we all know the truth, right? We forget that God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son. And we forget that God longs for every single human being to open their eyes to see, as 2 Corinthians puts it, to see the bright light of the gospel in the face of Christ. We're scared about what it might cost us to connect with those people. So we just stick with our people and we do nothing. And in doing nothing, we completely ignore what scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 3. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. So after all of that, there's the struggle, there's the tension. And now we're going to pivot to the most beautiful story that I've found in a long, long time. It's the example of Jesus. It comes from Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. It says, after this. Anytime you see in scripture the words, after this, just stop for a second because something just significant happened right before that, right? Quick review. Here's what just happened. Jesus called his first disciples and they were messy. And then he healed a man with leprosy, which was messy. And then he had this group of guys who wanted to get their friend in front of Jesus so desperately, they tore the roof off of a house, which would have been messy. So after this, after that, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Okay, stop for a second. It's just so easy to just blow right past that little tiny piece. There's a guy, he's a tax collector, his name is Levi, and we just go flying right past it. Stop for just a second. At this time in history, there were three kinds of tax collectors. The first group were called Gabai. Okay? The Gabai collected property, income, and poll taxes. So you got to remember at this time, Israel is under the domination of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire shows up and says, guess what? 
just because you should be so grateful to be living under our rule, we're going to tax you. One-tenth of everything that comes out of the ground that you plant belongs to us. You can pay it to us in grain, uh, olive oil, wine, all the different currencies, whatever you want to. And then on top of that, we're also going to put a 1% income tax on everything that you make. And some of you look at that and go, 11%? That doesn't sound like it's that bad. Until you remember, most people were in the stream of agriculture and they made next to nothing. So when you make 10 cents and the government comes and takes most of it, it hurts. The goodbye, we're in charge of those kinds of taxes. Secondly, there was a group called the Great Mokes. All right? They were in charge of import and export taxes. The Great Mokes would set up toll booths on major ports and harbor docks and they would tax anybody for anything. They could tax you for the length of your hair. They could tax you for um, anything and everything. We ran into a guy earlier in the series called Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was probably a great moke. Because what defined the great mokes were not necessarily the taxes that they collected, but the fact that they had a whole bunch of other little mokes that were working underneath of them in their system. It was a great pyramid scheme. Okay? There was another third group called little mokes. Okay? Think minions. All right? Just think minions. All right? And this group of people, the little mokes, they were despised and straight out hated. Because here's what they would do. They would set up random taxation booths anywhere they wanted to. So you can imagine today, okay? I go back and forth on the guide several times every single day. It's a beautiful faith-building experience. God works in my heart with regards to patience and loving the idiots that are in front of me on the guide. I'm just saying, it's my moment of confession, okay? And you can imagine if I pulled up by Walmart, the corner there, you know, you're right on the guide there, and all of a sudden there's a guy in a little lemonade stand sitting right in the middle of, of, of the intersection. And he walks up and he goes, uh... 25 bucks and there's a cop right behind him that says pay him I'm like excuse me I drive this road all the time I know today it's being taxed $25 or jail you pick you can imagine if you had a private driveway and one day you come home and there's a little dude a little moke in a little lemonade stand right in the center of the road going you want to go home today 30 bucks or jail take your pick that's what the little mokes did you had to pay it. So these little mokes would set up random toll taxes wherever they wanted to, whenever they felt like it, and they taxed anybody for anything. So in the historical context, you pull up in your little one-horse cart, and they're like, one-horse cart today, 25 shekels. Your horse has a long tail as opposed to a short tail, eight more shekels. You got 16-inch rims instead of 14-inch rims, seven more shekels. Here was the issue. All of the little mokes were Jewish people working for the enemy, the Roman Empire. They were hated because they were traitors. And that's who Jesus picked. Levi was a little moke. Why did it matter? It mattered because Jesus invited someone who was considered the ultimate traitor to follow him. Let me see. Who should I pick? I know who I'll pick. The guy every single person in this community hates. Hey, Levi. The verse continues. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything 
and followed him. Now don't blow right past that, okay? It says a little moke who made everything off of taxation left everything behind. Lemonade stand, money bags, every single thing. He, I, I have no idea why he would actually do that. I don't know. Like, was it the look of Jesus that suddenly compelled him to walk away from everything? Did the Holy Spirit like just, in, just you know, grab a hold of his heart and say, you're going after the wrong stuff? I have no idea. But my Bible tells me he walked away from everything. Everything. Only reason I can come up with is Jesus offered this little moke something more valuable than a bag full of illicit tax money. He offered him eternity. Here's the point. I hope you don't miss it. There's a quantum difference between believing in Jesus and actually following Jesus. Just so we're clear, demons believe in Jesus. Satan believes in Jesus. Lots of people believe in Jesus. In fact, about 80% of the people in this country say they believe in Jesus. But here's something you should remember. Believing in Jesus costs you nothing. Following Jesus will cost you everything. I wonder how many of us swallow deeply when we sing the words of that old song. Demands my life, my soul, my all. When I follow Jesus, I have a different economy, a different sacrifice, a different value system, a different moral ethic. It's a different everything. And some of you are saying, why, why would I actually do that? That's a valid question. You wouldn't if you think that all there is to life is what you see and feel and hear around you right now. The only reason you would want to follow Jesus is if you understood that this life is this tiny little slice of history. It's a blip on the radar. And everything else that came before it and after it, that is called eternity. And that's what actually matters. When we studied the book of Ecclesiastes, we learned something together, right? What was life? It was a vapor. Remember me standing here with my little, with my little clothes steamer? It's like, that's life. That's it. And God begs us to consider, what about everything outside of that little puff of vapor? What about the rest of eternity? Jesus shows up, hey, Levi, it's not about your money bag, bro. It's about all the rest of it. Levi becomes Matthew. And he writes the biblical book, the gospel of Matthew. Matthew thank you. <laughs> Everyone at 9.30 froze. It's like, Bible quiz time. Ah. <laughs> Wasn't a trick question. Okay, right? Matthew wrote Matthew. And in this moment, he walks away from all that was valuable to him so that he could have something that was invaluable, eternity. Now keep reading. Verse 29, it says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Think about it. He's hated and despised. Nobody wants to have anything to do with him. If he was going to throw a party, who were the only people that would come? Other people that were just like him. Other little mokes. So his tax collecting trader friends shows up. And here's what I love. Who is right smack dab in the middle of that party? Jesus. <laughs> and just by being there, Jesus teaches us a truth. Jesus was completely comfortable with messy people. Now here comes the question. 
As a follower of Jesus, shouldn't I be as well? Now there's a caution here. When I left my old life, there was a time when I needed to put a little bit of distance there because the truth is I was too weak to be an influencer. I would have been the influenced. But there's a time as well when you need to put that aside and get on board with the mission of God and reconnect and actually move towards people because guess what? They need Jesus just as much as you did. Some of us are still like, nope, not interested. I don't want anything to do with people like that. You may want to put on your seatbelt for this because Jesus has something to say about that attitude. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, so the religious people show up, who belonged to their sect, so their own little group of people, they complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Boy, I love this answer. Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And some of us are very quick to go, yeah, yeah, right there, right at the end there. Jesus needs to call the sinners of Whatcom County to repentance so they can elevate themselves to the level that I happen to be on right now. Like I just, you know, we need, we need some of those people to get with the program. They need to repent. Like that's just, yeah, we focus on the last part and we forget that Jesus is actually welcoming us all into a, a pretty difficult conscious moment. Because let me ask you a question. When was the last time you repented for the self-righteous attitude that puts you above those people? When was the last time you repented for the fact that all of your friends are exactly like you? When was the last time you repented for not being on God's mission to share the love of Jesus with everyone? When was the last time you repented over the fact that the last time you talked to someone who doesn't know Jesus about Jesus was... um, Uh, Never. I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. When was the last time you practiced that kind of repentance? This past week, I got thinking about the names of God just a little bit. I love the name Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides everything I need, including salvation, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. I love the name Jehovah Rophe, the God who heals because I believe God heals today. The name of God, Adonai, which is God singular. The name Elohim, which is God plural, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The name El Shaddai, God Almighty. I mean, how many of us need a mighty God to show up today? I mean, these are glorious names about his character. And here's the hard thing about every single one of them. They're unattainable to me as a human being. They're amazing. They unpack his character, but I can't connect that deeply into his character because God is perfect and I'm not. Like it or not, I'm one of those people. But there's one name that I can actually connect to because I can actually get there. (laughs) 
And it's a name that Jesus, I mean, Jesus loved to be known by. In fact, he wore it as a badge of honor. He prided himself in it, and I'm convicted about this fact about the name. The only name and character attribute of God that I can actually attain is three words. Friend of sinner. I can do that. I can do that. I can't do the other ones. And if you think you can aspire to one of the other ones and actually get there, that's the pride, that's the sin of pride and arrogance. And guess what? You just became one of those people. I can't do the other ones, but I can join Jesus in the last one. I can be a friend of sinners. Why? Because I was one, I am one, and I know my humanity well enough. Before this day is over, I'm going to be one again, but for the grace of God. So as we pivot towards Christmas in this beautiful story, don't miss this. Jesus told us exactly why he did and did not come. The incarnation is not a mystery, okay? Jesus did not come to just rally up the good people. Someday that's going to happen. Jesus is coming back for his children. But here's the one cool thing about the distinction of his children. Every single one of them are going to know the reason we got in is not because of the good that we did, but because of all the good that Jesus did for us. That's how it's going to work. Jesus told exactly why he didn't didn't come. He actually said it. I did not come to call the righteous. I did come to call sinners to repentance. In fact, it's interesting. I started studying my Bible. 31 times in scripture, Jesus makes a statement about the incarnation. He either says, I've come so that, or I did not come so that. There are 31 days in December, sleep in service. I challenge you to dig into your Bible and find every single one of them. That would be really good devotional time for the days of Advent leading up to Christmas. He said it right here. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So this is what he says. In truth, Jesus came to light the way for sinners to find their way home. And when we say that word sinner, we mean this, people just like us. So let's just jump into the application here really, really quickly, okay? Let's make this as practical as possible. If Jesus connected with people over a meal, in the next 24 days, could you find time in your busy life to connect with one person who may not be where you are, but they are where you used to be? Could you make room at your table? Who could you invite into your home to actually befriend so that they could experience the same love, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus that you once experienced? Here's another thought. Who could you invite to Christmas Eve? I read the statistics again. 75 to 80% of people said that they would come to church on Christmas Eve if someone would just invite them. 75 to 80%. So we're going to do Christmas for our own little group again this year? Or are we going to entertain what I think is an incredibly compelling thought? If we invite if we connect, if we love, if we get comfortable sitting in the center of the messiness of humanity, what if, what if those people became God's people? What if? My prayer is that over these next weeks, every time you see the little red lamp you saw in the intro video, that you'll picture in your heart God gave you a light. Because my Bible says Jesus did not only say, I am the light of the world, he also said, you're the light of the world. So for the love of God, shine. 
especially now. You know what I know about this broken world? In this much darkness, a little bit of light goes a really long way. And if we could put together a whole bunch of lights before we even come together on Christmas Eve and light the little light and hold it up in the air and everybody goes, oh, wow, that's so cool. If we actually took that light mission personally, what if, what if those people, people like us, could become God's people? Would you pray with me as we close? God, may we take your word seriously. May we open our hearts to the mission that you have for us. And God, would you bless your church as we exit today and may we take the light of the world with us everywhere we go. God, thank you for transforming Levi into Matthew. May you continue to do that good work in and through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.